Welcome to Let's Talk. Here we will focus on the hustle, the juggle, and everyday struggle of small business. We will be here every week talking to small business owners about their everyday struggles, stresses, and ways they have been able to overcome the challenges of running their business. We welcome questions and comments, so please feel free to email us at admin at plemonscpa.com. We hope you enjoy, and above all, we hope it helps. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I am Thalia Williams, your hostess of the Hustle, Juggle, and Struggle of Small Business. Today we have in our studio, Susan Smiley. Welcome, Susan. Thank you so much for having me on. Wonderful. So tell us a little bit about you and your business, the name of your company. I actually have two companies. Um, My original company is the Box Web Design company. which I have been a part of since about 2008, but I became owner of in 2013. Wow. Then my other company uh, officially began on January 1st of this year, although I did the work most of last year also, just not as a separate company. And in that one, I have a business partner, and it's called Virtual Productions, and we are assisting organizations and companies in holding their virtual events. Nice. So that grew very definitely from the pandemic. Oh, I'm sure it did. Addressing well, a need. I'm sure. Now, was that on the horizon when you had the box essay? No, not in the slightest. Oh. Um, I was the lead organizer for WordCamp 2020, which is a WordCamps are uh, conferences held all over the world all the time about WordPress. So I am a WordPress developer and... San Antonio had not had a WordCamp since 2017. There was one that started to be planned for 2018, didn't happen. One that started to be planned for 2019, didn't happen. So I sort of barged my way in and said, I'm going to be the person for 2020 and we're going to make this happen. And just assembled a wonderful team of people, none of whom I knew ahead of time. It's all volunteer run with a lot of support from the WordPress organization. And... We were supposed to hold it at UTSA downtown the last weekend in March of 2020. Wow. UTSA downtown shut down on March 13th. Mm. So I got that. We'd already been talking about different options. Speakers were already like, you know, should we come? We had speakers from some coming from other countries. Uh, we had one from Costa Rica, a couple from Canada, and other people from all over the U.S., um, And so we'd already been in conversation with them about, you know, do you want to present virtually? I was working with Nowcast, which is a local um, nonprofit news or web-based news organization with a lot of experience in live streaming events. They were already contracted to uh, tape all of the speaking sessions for us. So I was working with them on how can we convert this to partially virtual? You know, what can we do? When UTSA shut down, we made the decision to go fully virtual. And um, I wasn't trying to do anything radical or, you know, leading edge or anything like that. I just really wanted our WordCamp to happen. We'd been working on it for a year. There hadn't been one since 2017. I did not want to cancel again. I just, it was really important to me that we hold the event. We were the only WordCamp in the world that did not cancel their March or April event. Wow. 
Amazing. Um, WordCamp DC was supposed to happen the same weekend as ours. It got canceled, which turned out to be good for us. We actually picked up some of their speakers. Um, and it, it just, it was an amazing event. So in 15 days, we went from, you know, maybe doing a few things virtual to being a fully virtual event. And with the help of Nowcast, I could not have done it without them. Absolutely could not have done it without the help of Charlotte Ann Lucas, who runs Nowcast. Um, and out of that, she kept getting requests from local organizations asking them to help her with their events that they were doing the same thing with. And, and then she kept asking me to help her. And we put on a big event at the end of August last year um, and called in some of my fellow WordCamp people to help with that because we needed more hands. And one of them was Adam Moore, who had been a big help with the word camp and at the end of it he texted me and said I can think of a lot of ways to really improve the processes on how we do this and I think this would make a great company and I texted him back and I said I've already bought a domain name do you want to go into business with me nice (laughs) and because Charlotte Ann did not want to do it anymore that's not what her core thing is her core thing is she's a journalist is doing news and it was eating up so much of her time assisting all these organizations she wanted out um, and so Adam and I talked and we picked up some more work. We had several events through the fall and we formed the LLC in January. Nice. And are continuing to work on, you know, how we're going to run things and what we can do. And, but we're already talking to the people that we did the event for last August about this August event. They're going to go fully virtual again. Wow. Yeah, because virtuality is not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. We wouldn't have formed the company if it was just if we thought it was just a pandemic thing. People are realizing that they don't have to do everything in person. They can have virtual components to their events. Um, everybody wants to get back to at least some type of live event, but a lot of them are talking about having it be integrated with something virtual. Um, so that maybe some of the speakers are virtual or attendees can watch without having to physically attend because there's tremendous benefit to that. You can get speakers that you normally would not be able to get. Like the event last August, the large event I was talking about, um, they had a speaker from Scotland, and it's a local San Antonio event. They would not have had a speaker from Scotland if they weren't virtual. True, because the cost it would have been exorbitant and out of the budget potentially right. for that speaker to physically fly in. Yes, and um, the Texas Tribune holds TribFest every September, and it's normally a th- like weekend-long, 12-hour-day, you know, just speaker, speaker, speaker event. They did it all virtually this year, and they spread it out across a whole month. But they, um, they said that they had speakers that they have been trying to get for years that they could not get, and they got all of them this year. That's nice. Because it was virtual. I mean, people, I'm talking about people like Hillary Clinton, Gloria Steinem, you know, that they'd been trying to get, and... They weren't available if they had to fly down here and be physically present. But if they only needed an hour of their time. On camera. Right. In their comfort of their own home or office. Right. Then they could do it. So we see this continuing. You know, people are going to continue to want these services. And um, we're sort of filling the gap between the really large event companies that um, a lot of these organizations can't afford and um, the platforms, there's lots of software out there that will assist you in holding an event, but they don't take care of 
things like making sure your speakers are prepared or actually running the thing the day of and making sure that things go right. Uh, there's so much that happens behind the scenes that people don't see um, that to make an event run well. True. And so those are the kind of things that we're, we're doing is making sure the speakers are prepared, making sure the event runs well, making sure that the people have thought of contingencies. You know, I tell them, I'm like, if somebody's internet goes out, you need to be prepared for that. Like sort of the equivalent of somebody's missing their flight. Like you have to have a backup plan. Right. Plan we, A, B, C, D. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. We had that happen the day of WordCamp. One of our speakers' internet went out in the morning and he was supposed to speak in the morning. And I quickly contacted one of our afternoon speakers and I said, can you speak at 10 a.m. instead? Mm-hmm. And he said he could. So he spoke at 10. By the afternoon, the other guy had his internet back. He spoke at 2. It all worked out. But That's nice. Yeah. But that's like you say, a contingency plan because things happen even in a virtual world that yeah. people don't anticipate. Right. I think that there's more things that can go wrong in a virtual world. It feels like, I don't know, maybe not, but it feels like it. I totally understand. Wow. So what um, have been some of your challenges in running your business? We'll go with either one. I just heard about one yeah. in the newest one, but what right. about in your other one? Yeah. So that one, um, I, I was brand new to the entrepreneurial world um, and being self-employed when I started doing that. And so that sort of short version of that is that um, my degrees in computer science, I worked as a programmer, systems analyst, consultant back in the 80s and early 90s, and then I became a stay-at-home mom. I was a stay-at-home mom for 16 years. The World Wide Web came into existence during that time. Wow, yeah. So the whole industry had just completely changed. The things I learned, in, I was a Fortran programmer, like the things I learned in school, nobody was doing anymore. And so um, I was getting divorced. I needed to figure out a way to earn a living. I had homeschooled my kids and my, I had three older kids, but my youngest was only five. And I wanted him to have the same benefit of having a stay-at-home mom you know, being homeschooled that the other kids had. And and my next oldest was only 12. So, you know, the two of them, I really wanted to make sure that they still had me there for them. So I started thinking about what can I do? What can I do? And I decided that, you know, web development was what I needed to learn how to do. And started taking some online classes to try to learn some stuff. And I started telling people what I really want to do is find somebody who owns their own company and who will, like, mentor me and teach me this stuff and and then pay me at the same time. And it seems so just, like, outrageously ridiculous to think that that could happen. At that time, yeah. But then I met Sean Worcester. Okay. Who did that. Nice. He was the founder of the Box Web Design. And um, we were going to the same spiritual community where we saw each other every week and we would chat and – he finally one day he said, you know, would you be interested in doing some work for me? I'm like, yes. (laughs) And so I started working for him and um, learned a lot. He taught me a lot. And then I, but I had more, he was young. He's a lot younger than me. I had more experience working with clients. I mean, I've been a consultant at a high tech consulting firm. I had way more experience than him working with clients and sort of, um, working in a more professional setting than what he had done. And so I helped develop our client base and retain clients and things like that. All while still being a stay-at-home mom helping with the children. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, it was challenging. Um, Luckily, they're good kids who are pretty independent, and my older kids helped a lot with the youngest one. 
so the big challenge in all of that was just learning what I needed to know to be able to even do the work was sort of the first challenge. Um, but then, so at some at one point, at some point, Sean was done. He actually moved away from San Antonio a year after I took over the company. He stayed involved for a while after that. And then he he was like, I just want out. And he, he had moved on to other things that he was making good money at. And he gave me the company, which was just unbelievable. I mean, by then, probably half the clients were mine. You know, I had developed a lot of stuff, but still, it was an extremely generous thing. He said, I just want you to take over all the expenses, like you pay all the bills and wow. have it. And there wow. was no debt. It wasn't like I was taking on debt. It was right. just, you know, the ongoing expenses. So the challenge then was things like figuring out exactly what it was the company was going to do. Because at the time, I, was, I had this idea of like building it into this thing where we did everything for people. You can't do everything for everybody. And, and it just, yeah, I was doing things I didn't like doing that I didn't, wasn't really skilled at. Um, kind of resenting some of the time I spent on some of those things. And then also pricing was the other thing that was difficult. I finally realized at some point that the level of service I was offering, other people were charging literally 10 times more for than I was. Oh, so the value, you didn't place value on what yeah. you offered. Well, yeah, well, I didn't understand. I didn't understand what I, that what I was doing was beyond what um, was normally offered. Mm-hmm. Um, so I raised my prices to be consistent with the um, – industry mm-hmm. expecting that most of my clients would go oh we can't this is ridiculous we're not doing this i lost like two clients in that process everybody else just was like okay we'll sure. start paying the higher rate right you were undervaluing yourself anyway right and they were just waiting for you to get the light bulb yeah. moment <laughs> to say hey yes i'm worth this i'm valued this yeah. is valuable well I, I mean i think that that's what it is is that i was they knew that that i answered my their phone calls, that I responded to their emails, that I fixed their problems. And it, I almost become an extension of their company in terms of being like their tech support person. And, yeah, they do value that, and they're willing to pay a monthly fee for it. Right. You just had to get the revelation. Right. <laughs> yeah. So um, so those were two of the really big challenges. Um, and then um, s- setting boundaries also, I think. Um, was another thing, was just trying to sort of figure out how responsive I would be and, um, you know, how, how, how I would allow people to treat me, things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, took a little bit of time mm-hmm. to work out. But I feel like I've got it all figured out now. Not, I mean, not all figured out. That's ridiculous. But uh, when I talk to other people in my business, you know, I'm aligned with what other people are doing. Okay. And, um, yeah, so it feels good. With the challenges you you have had, why do you persist? Why do you keep going? Oh, well, for the same reason I started it, my that youngest child that I was talking about is turning 18 this year. Um, you know, still being able to be there for him. And, and my other kids, even though the rest of them are all adults, they still have needs. You know, they still need their mom. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the flexibility that the um, being self-employed offers me and the ability to choose who I work with. Like I am not, I don't have to put up with a bad boss. 
I don't have to put up with people treating me badly. You know, I, I'm willing to let clients go if they, if we're not a good fit. Oh, you fire clients? I do fire clients. Yes. Nice. Real nice. Because most entrepreneurs, depending on where they're at in their business model or even in their journey, are afraid to fire a client, especially if that client has a high percentage of their income. Right. And they'll suffer through, muddle through, beat themselves up to keep that client happy, jumping through hoops and things of that nature, not trusting that what they offer can be better received by someone who would appreciate them. Right. And that's a lesson that I, I mean, I think when you're new in business, you almost have to do that because you need the income. There's just, you flat out need it and you have to do that. Mm -hmm. But at some point you get to a place where you can let those things go. You can say, I can, I can live without this person. I can find another client to replace them, and I don't have to put up with this. So I've never out-and-out out fired clients in terms of saying, I'm firing you. But I just, you know, I finish up what I'm doing for them, and then I tell them I'm not available for more work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the polite way to right. get out of working with them again. Yeah. I understand. How critical is support to you? How important is support to you? Um, what, what type of support do you mean? Any type of support. I mean, whether it's emotional, spiritual, business-wise, family, what type, it, how critical is it? Some, one person has told me that critical support isn't critical co- to them at all because they're self-sufficient. Others have said that the business community or their family or whatever. So for you, for you and your business, how critical is support to you? I love having a business partner mm-hmm. <laughs> in my new business. Like Adam and I are so in sync with each other and he owns a web development business also. I mean, that's how he got involved with the WordCamp is he has a WordPress business just like I do. And when we talk, our philosophies about how we like to work together and everything are so in sync. And then, but we also have different things that we like to do and don't like to do and like I can't remember what it was now, but I was saying one day, I am so glad that you like taking care of this kind of stuff because I hate doing that. And he's like, well, I'm glad you like doing this because I hate doing that. And I'm like, why would you hate doing that? It's not like I was, it's just so funny, you know, how different people like to do different things. So we just, it has been delightful to have somebody and just to bounce ideas off and stuff like that. So I, I, I love that aspect of, I, I don't know if that necessarily counts as support, but just having somebody there that as a team member that you're in sync with is amazing. That's support. Yeah, it is because you have a partner who can listen to you and you can listen to them. And like you say, you can bounce ideas off of there's some synergistic uh, alignment there yeah. that assist in moving the company forward. Right. I like that. I like that. So tell us about a failure that you've learned from. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if this is necessarily a failure. It was sort of the boundary setting thing that I talked about earlier. I had a client that I had been involved with for a long time. I think we'd worked together for about five years. They're a local nonprofit. I had given them really good rates, discounted rates. I had volunteered at many of their organizations, probably, I mean, events, probably contributed hundreds of volunteer hours to them. Uh, a friend of mine who's in marketing said, you were a brand ambassador for them. I mean, I just promoted them so much. And they were getting ready to redesign their website. And we had been in talks about it for a long time. And we're talking about what they wanted to do and how they wanted to update it and everything. And then things got kind of weird where they 
I didn't show up for one meeting that they scheduled with me to talk about what the website needed to have on it. And, um, and I had driven to their location for that, which really annoyed me because it was like an hour. They were way on the other side of town from me. It was almost an hour drive. Um, but I sort of was like, okay, you know, let's just reschedule this. And then after we talked, um, I said, okay, I'll have something to you next week. And then they sent me an email the next day and said, all the other bids are in. We need your bid. And I'm like, what other bids are you talking about? Like, they did not tell me, which is their right to do that. But they had not told me that they were soliciting bids from other companies. Um, they had not given me all the information that they gave these other companies. Like, they would already made up their mind that they weren't going to use me for this. Yeah. And instead of just telling me that... They made me go through all this rigmarole and spend a lot, waste a lot of time talking to them and actually using information that I was giving them to prepare the RFP for the other clients. Mm. Uh, I mean, the other companies. Um, and the one thing that they didn't tell me was that they had gotten a big grant to pay for this thing. Wow. So I was still working under the, they don't have very much money. You know, I need to give them a really good price on this assumption. Mm. And um, they had another company tell them that anybody who bids under this amount for this job doesn't understand the work. And I bid under that amount because I'd worked with them for five years and I knew. You had a rapport with them. Yes. You had a relationship with them. Yes. And so, and I found that out because one of the people in the office was really annoyed at how they were treating me. um, And she gave me all this information. (laughs) but the thing that was really awful was that they they sent me an email um, that's, that wasn't copied to anybody else. It was just from one individual that said, we're not going to need your services anymore. Thank you so much. I was still hosting their current website, still working on their current website. They weren't going to get the new website overnight. Um, but I was like, okay. I. It was really devastating to me. And they were my biggest client at the time also. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. To be treated so unprofessionally, really, mm-hmm. um, because it wasn't that they went with another company. That is every organization's right to do that. I have had other clients leave, and I don't take it personally. It was the way they went about it, the way they treated me. And I realized that I had been treating them too much like a friend ah. and not like a client. Mm. And it changed my whole approach. Uh, one thing was I started adding a confidentiality statement to all of my emails so that they couldn't take the information that I'm sharing with them and then share it with other companies. Um, but I also, I raised my prices. You know, I was like, fine, I didn't get this job because I didn't bid enough money. That's ridiculous. Agreed. <laughs> because they knew what kind of work I did. That was what was made me so mad about it, is that he knew I could that I would do what they wanted, that I would keep working on it until it got to where they wanted it to be. And so to tell me that I didn't bid enough was just crazy. Yeah, it really changed how I did things. So that failure almost became a success story for you. It it did. It really did. It it changed. It, like, hardened me up in some ways. (laughs) Um, Not in the sense of, like, not wanting to do the right things for my clients, but at all, like, 
my tagline for the box web design is providing peace of mind for your tech world. That's what that's what gives me satisfaction in this work is helping people. Like I really love solving problems for my clients and making their lives easier. That's my whole that's what I get out of this. Like some people who develop websites do it because they love the design aspect of it or they love the tech as you know, they love doing creative things with code. That's not why I do it. I do it because I love solving problems and, and helping people. Wow. And that hasn't changed. Um, but the, and I still have, you know, a friendly rapport with my clients and I do consider some of my clients to be friends, but, um, but the business side of it, um, you know, if somebody tells me, Oh, I can't afford that. I'm like, well, then we need to change the scope of this. Like I don't just go, Oh, well, let me lower my price for you then. Right. You You change the scope of it. Right. Or either, you know, if I'm not the right one for you because of this, you might want to seek someone else. Yeah. Yeah. If it's somebody new, that would definitely be the case. Mm -hmm. But like an existing client, I might just say, well, how can we figure out how to make this work? You know, what can we do to to fit it within your budget? Correct. Correct. Rather than me changing my price, which is what I did for this other client. Right. They're like, we can't afford this. And I'm like, oh, well, let me offer you a better rate. Well, you know, some lessons you have to learn that way. And that's yeah. a part of business, you know, understanding that and encountering those stumbling blocks and hurdles where you go, hmm, that wasn't the right decision I needed to make. Yes. Today we have Chris Hall from Pontum Financial. Let's talk a little bit about time is money, time equals money. Yeah, well, everyone's heard the slogan, time is money. It's never applied more than it does today. Everyone's got so many different things fighting for their dollars and everyone has so many different things that are fighting for their time. And that's the one thing that no matter how much money you make or how well your business is doing, you can never buy more of it. So everybody's got the same amount of minutes in the day and everybody's got to learn how to spend them the most efficiently. So I always tell people if there's something that you're doing that is taking more time than it would take a person who can actually do that task, whatever it may be, I always use getting your oil changed, for an example. I love changing my own oil, but if I can pay somebody $30 an hour as opposed to spending my hour doing it, if I you know, want to make $100 an hour, then I'm not spending $30 an hour. I'm wasting 70 Wow, that's fascinating, Chris. Well, you know, that sounds like really, really good advice. How can we contact you for more? The best way to contact us is to reach out by phone. It's 210 625 Four eight four five. Our office is right off of two eighty one in Bitters. You can follow us on LinkedIn or Facebook, and you can check out our website at pontumfinancial.com. That's p o n t e m financial.com. Chris Hall is a partner with Pontum Financial and offers securities and investment products and services through Waddell and Reed Inc. W R I member Finra slash S I P C. Quantum Financial is a separate entity from WRI. So tell me, tell me about a success that you've learned from. Well, I think the WordCamp is <laughs> was my, which I already talked about quite a bit, but that um, I did not, again, I did not go into that trying to be, you know, a big leader or, you know, do something innovative or anything like that. I just wanted the WordCamp to happen. I just wanted it to – the purpose of WordCamps is to bring together the local WordPress community and have them meet each other and get to know each other and, you know, know who the other players are and, and learn. Um, 
part of that didn't really happen because it ended up being a worldwide event. <laughs> we started out expecting about 315 in-person attendees, mostly from San Antonio, some from Austin. It ended up being over 1,000 people from all over the world. Because it was virtual. Because it was virtual. And and it was the only WordCamp on the schedule for two months. I, I should add that a couple of other places after we did our WordCamp did schedule theirs in the April you, time frame. You were the leader. Yeah, you were they were like, oh, okay, it, it, <laughs> this can happen. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but it just, it, it was such an amazing event, and it was such a... a rewarding experience and to have my the team of people was just phenomenal all those volunteers that and new volunteers that joined us you know when once we realized we were going virtual we had new people from the wordpress community not from the san antonio area who jumped in and helped us with some of the stuff uh who we could not have done it without and it was just it was you know this was the beginning of the pandemic when people were freaking out and all my friends were like just not no, like we were in lockdown like nobody knew what was happening and i'm just like like working furiously trying to make this conference happen and it was so i i loved that i had that that i wasn't sitting there just obsessing about this pandemic but instead i had something really worthwhile that i was spending my time on um and getting to know all these other people and putting on something that was really helping people. I had one of the speakers said it was the most normal that she'd felt, uh, you know, in, since the pandemic since started. the pandemic started. Yeah, that, that it was, and she was up in the Washington State area, so she'd actually been it had been a little bit longer for her. Um, and yeah, it was just it was. I, I I don't know. I just get still get a really good feeling from it. Remembering those two day, it was a two day conference, two day three track conference. Like this was not a small conference. It was a big. We had. Um, uh, over thirty speakers. I mean, it was a it was a big conference. That's huge. Yeah, and yeah. to be able to pivot from being in person to online and still be successful, that's definitely you know yeah. a a feather in your cap because you didn't have an idea at the time that this was going to take place. You yeah. were under the assumption that we're going to have in person and all the logistics and uh, operational things that come with in person to all of a sudden dramatically pivot to online and it still be successful yeah that and, is amazing yeah it, it was phenomenal i mean again amazing team of people and and once again charlotte ann lucas uh was just critical to the whole thing from Nowcast. um she insisted that we av check every speaker and i would never have thought to do that and now i would not put on a virtual event without doing it um, you learned something from it didn't you oh yeah i mean and people will push back on us about that and clients will be like, you know, do we really have to do this? And I'm like, yes, we do. And a couple of times we've had some pretty big name speakers who refuse to do it. And it's, it's been a problem every time. It's been like, ah. If you had only complied with yeah. our wish, you wouldn't have had this issue. Right. We could have solved it prior to right. this event taking place and it being live and us trying to move yeah. things behind the scenes. Yep. I mean, there's so many things that can go wrong. You want to try and eliminate as many of those ahead of time as you can. Mm-hmm. And that's what the AV checks help accomplish. Right. You know, make sure that their lighting is good. Make sure that their mic works. Make sure that their internet speed is fast enough. We had one guy whose internet speed was so slow, there was no way that he could have presented. Oh, he's one of those ones that goes, mm, mm, yeah, yeah, okay. So he had he had to move to. Actually, we've had a couple of people, but that's been the case. They've had to move to a different physical location because they could not get fast enough internet at their house. Wow. 
Yeah, that's definitely a challenge. But like you said, that was a success for sure because of the mere fact of the pivot, the ability to pivot quickly. And you only had, well, maybe like a couple of days or so or maybe a week to actually. We had 15 days. 15 days. Yeah. But most of that time was eaten up with doing these AV checks. Mm. I mean, that was we did one on ones with every single speaker. Okay. So that was a plus just. Yeah. I mean, there was so much we had to do. Um, Undoubtedly. You know, pick a platform schedule everything get people to run every session um you know i mean it was just it was such a huge amount of stuff it was i still can't believe it happened but it did luckily i'm super organized on stuff like that i actually have adhd which i didn't even know until two years ago and it just explains so much about my life but 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 that hyper focus and and putting organization around stuff is so in my wheelhouse (laughs) like that's what my brain wants to do it's like i want to organize these things that's good yeah that's good so what does success look like to you it sounds like having an event that has pivoted from in person or even what originally it was created to do to morph into something else and it still be successful but what does success look like for you um yeah so success um I mean, I guess it depends on what aspect of it you're talking about. On a one-on-one basis with a client, it's it's meeting their needs and and you know solving their problem for them. As I already spoke, that to me is success. If I if my if people are happy with what I'm doing, that's very fulfilling to me. Overall, as a business, um, I know a lot of people want their business to grow into some huge thing that they'll be able to sell for tons of money or whatever. That's never been one of my big goals. That's not the thing that drives me. Um, it's really about being successful enough to be able to support my family and, you know, afford the things that we want to do without being super elaborate. Um, and then also having the free time to spend with my family to, you know, to be able to enjoy time off and or, you know, take the afternoon off and go do something fun with my kid Um, That, to me, is also a big part of success. One of the dreams, I have to admit, that I do have for the new business that I've wanted to do with the old business, but it's harder to do with the web design business for complicated reasons I won't go into. But with the new business, Adam and I both would really love to create some good-paying jobs. Become employers. Yes. We would really like... Part of the reason I have not grown the box web design very much is because I haven't been able to afford to pay people what I would want to be able to pay them. And I won't do it if I can't pay them. My middle son actually works for me, and <laughs> I pay him. Um, he does he does a little bit of work for me, um, which has been a really big help. Uh, but but overall, um, I have not been able to afford to like hire a full-time person at the salary I would like to be able to pay them. I think that that can happen pretty easily with virtual productions. And I would love for that. Like that would make me so happy to be pay good salaries with benefits. You know, that to me is, would be success. If Mm. I can accomplish that, that would just really, really, really make me happy. I don't think it's impossible. It's a path that you have to obviously walk out or design a plan to try yeah. and reach that. No, I can see it very clearly for this business. That's great. Like it's, it's just a matter of building up the business enough that, um, you know, we'll, I, I I can very clearly see how it can happen. It's harder in the web design business because so much of what I do is so custom for each client. It's hard to, like, build processes that you can teach somebody else to do. 
in this business, the virtual productions, it's all processes. Like it is just so easy to train other people to do it. And so it would be, you know, it's just a matter of, of developing the business to the level where we have enough work mm-hmm. um, to hire somebody else. And then we'll, we'll be able to do that because it's, I can very clearly see how I could teach people how to do what we do and bring them up to speed and, and, and pay them decent wages to do it. When we were talking earlier, um, we talked about the hustle, juggle, and struggle, and you disagree with the hustle aspect of it. Elaborate a little bit. Yeah, so I, a lot of these of business events that I go to and stuff, you know, make it sound like if you're not working 12-hour days and you're not, you know, just killing yourself in your business, then you're not doing enough. You know, and it should be your goal to, to be just constantly working on your business. And I have never been able to ascribe to that. It just mm-hmm. is not how I work. I just would burn out so fast if I had to do that. Right. So I I like the oh taking the dog for a walk, you know, mm-hmm. um, and uh, spending time with your kids, kids spending time with the kids, you know, just doing the stuff I enjoy. Like I enjoy having a life outside of work, and so I'm gonna you know I'm gonna do stuff for my clients. I'm gonna take care of them. I'm not gonna abandon them, but I I'm not getting up at six a.m. and work until eight p.m. Like that's just not it's just not gonna happen. Got you. Totally understand completely. So if you had some advice to give to our listening audience, or better yet, let me let me do another question. If you had to do this all over again, would you do anything differently, if at all? Um, I think that I would learn more about how to run a business okay. sooner. Um, I did not really put any focus on that at all, and I wish I had of, uh, because that's just it's just helpful to mm-hmm. know. Some of the stuff I was talking about earlier about, like, the boundaries and, and things like that and, and how you interact with clients. Um, there's really good information out there, and I wish that I had have taken the time to learn some of that stuff. Um, the other thing I would say, I, I consider myself to be almost an accidental entrepreneur. I never saw myself working for myself. Like, it just seemed like this just thing that wasn't possible to do. But I did it for my kids, and one of the things, my homeschooling philosophy was always, you can learn the things you need to learn at the time you need to know them. Like, learning can always happen. Like, I wanted to keep that alive in them. I wanted them to be aware that it's not like this thing you do for 12 years and maybe four more years and then you're done. Like, you, you can always learn new things. You can always develop new skills. You can always follow your interests and your passions. And so when it came time for me to, you know, figure out a way to earn a living after being a stay-at-home mom for 16 years, I was like, oh, I guess I'm going to have to put that into action here, aren't I? <laughs> yeah, you would. Yeah, you would. Um, so, yeah. It, and actually, that is one of the things I love about my work, too, is that I learn new stuff every day still. Mm-hmm. Like, I still learn new stuff. But, yeah, the, the thing that I think I would have done – and actually, a friend of mine's daughter is, is thinking about becoming a – I forget. She wanted to go into something culinary – and um, I, I told her mom, I said, tell her to learn about running a business also. You know, make sure that she knows how to do those things. So, yeah, I think that that's the, the big thing that I would really recommend. It's not enough to just have a passion for whatever it is that you do. Um, knowing how to turn it into something that is actually something that's going to sustain you over the long haul 
um, is really important. So that's that's the big advice. Wow, that was a good segue because I was putting my cart before my horse by asking you about advice. And then I realized I didn't ask you, you know, if there was anything you'd want to do differently. So that's good advice because running a business is more than just making the product or providing the service. There's so much behind it that most people don't really recognize. And San Antonio has a very good ecosystem that will help you understand how to run a business. Yes. And that's critical because if you don't understand how to run it, it won't grow. Right. Period. And you can be a one person show for so long and you get burnt out because of the hustle, struggle and the juggle. But realizing how to run your business, there are so many programs that will assist you in making those decisions so you don't have to hit your head frequently. You're going to hit your head regardless because you're in business, but you don't have to hit it on stuff that people have already hit their head on and have a process or means to avoid that wall, to avoid that stumbling block. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the areas that I see this in, one of the things I got involved in doing for one of my clients was band booking. Um, They're a music venue and I was already putting their music information on their website. And anyhow, it's a long story I won't go into, but I ended up being their band booker for a while. And, um, Musicians are one of the ones that you can tell the ones that are running it as a business and the ones who, even though they're doing it full time and it's how they earn their living, don't understand the business aspects of it. They're just a musician. They, yeah, the they, music. Yes, they mm-hmm. want to just be a musician. And, and I, I want to help so many of them. I'm like, you have got to learn how to market yourself. Like when I ask you for a description of your music, send it to me. Like, people need to know what you're doing in order to know whether or not they want to come see you perform. Right, or if the venue wants to book you. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. And so that's, that's – a lot of musicians don't view it as a business, and they need to, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, if they're, if they're actually trying to earn a living from it. Um, and, and I think that that's true of a lot of people in a lot of areas is they don't view what they're doing as a business, and they, they really need to, and they need to learn at least a little bit about marketing, a little bit about how to – keep track of their money you know a little bit about what their pricing structure should be i mean they just so well hopefully these podcasts that we're offering will give them that guidance or give them that insight or spark that interest so that they can go forth and learn more about it because with the hustle juggle and struggle of small business we're bringing in various entrepreneurs in various industries and different levels of business to assist that client to assist the audience in finding out oh i didn't think about that oh i need to do this so Susan, I appreciate your insights. Welcome. Thank you again for coming. And we want to just say thank you for listening. And we hope you have a wonderful, great day. Thank you again, Susan Smiley. All right. Thanks so much for having me. To contact Susan, you can reach her at Susan, S-U-S-A-N, at theboxsa.com. Or you can reach her on her website at virtualproductionsinc.com. Phone number 210-264-7879. For more information about any of our guests, or if you have questions and comments, please email us at admin at And don't forget to check out our website, plemonscpa.com, for upcoming events and workshops in San Antonio. David B. Plemons CPA Inc. is providing this podcast as a public service, but it is neither a legal interpretation nor a statement of David B. Plemons CPA Inc. policy. 
Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by David B. Plemons CPA, Inc. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the Hustle, Juggle, and Struggle of Small Business podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or their concepts or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by David B. Plemons CPA, Inc. employees are those of the employees and do not necessarily reflect the views of David B. Plemons CPA, Inc. or any of its officials. You should always consult your own investment advisors, attorneys, and accountants before making any decisions concerning your financial matters. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact our office. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.